welcome to the Rhythms Podcast. I'm Brian Wise, editor of the magazine. Thanks for joining me this week. My special guests are Tommy McLean and Cece Adcock from Louisiana. Cece has been here a couple of times before with Little Band of Gold, and he returns this month with Tommy McLean, the swamp pop legend, who began his career back in the 1950s and enjoyed the hit Sweet Dreams back in 1966. While Tommy has just released his first album for more than 40 years, it's titled I Ran Down Every Dream. It's produced by C.C. Adcock and it also features quite a number of special guests, including Elvis Costello and Nick Lowe, as well as Augie Myers. So let's begin our conversation with Tommy and Cece in the French Quarter of New Orleans during Jazz Fest, which is where I caught up with them just before their Australian tour. And before talking to Tommy and Cece, let's hear a track from Little Band of Gold from the album Promised Land, a song written by the late Dave Egan. Tommy and Cece here in the French Quarter. Yesterday they played at Jazz Fest on the Blues tent stage. I saw you also the previous night at Chicky Wawa. That was a great gig. It was it was packed up in there. We were having fun. Some squeaking and squealing going on with the sound man. But uh, after we kicked over a few microphones and threatened to steal the PA, he. He got it sounded better. It was very nice to hear you do a Dave Egan song, yeah. Spoon Bread. I love that song. You love Spoon Bread? I love Spoon Bread. That's not one of my favorite tunes, but I don't understand what it's about. I, I never took David Egan, the wonderful David Egan, who passed away. He wrote that. What a great writer. I didn't like that song at first. Now I'm liking it because cc has got him up. All I do is play a little bit and clap my hands, but that song is great. Yeah. It's a beautiful song. It's yeah. about it's about leaving Louisiana. Well, and, it's, about, and it's about not leaving. Louisiana. Not well, not leaving Louisiana. It's about, yeah. it's about getting to the border, uh, you know, the border of America, and and Louisiana, which is Texas, and uh, and 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 just going. You know, it ain't money, but it sure tastes good. I got. I just can't. I can't sell my soul for a piece of that American dream. I just want to stay a coon ass. The Sabine River turnaround. Sabine River is the river that separates uh, Louisiana and America, or Texas, and, um, and yeah, you get there, there's a little funky underpass right there, I guess kids go down there and shoot firecrackers and make out and drink beer on, on Friday nights, and uh, me and David went down there one time, sort of writing that, that verse on that song, and it's just about the decisions you make in life uh, as to where you're going to have your family and friends, uh, you know. Um, music and good food and and a good life sometimes over money let's talk about swamp pop tommy tell me what swamp pop is swamp pop is tommy mclean 
<laughs> That's about four. Have get, mercy. Hey, hey, Louisiana's got it. It comes out of here, and all these boys and girls, they all play. It's rhythm and blues. It's, uh, they just coin phrases, to, but it's just a conglomerate. But down here in Louisiana, we play all morning to night. I won't go on tonight to the, I got four songs to do at 10.30. Charles, we're going to open up and play. Excuse me, I just got up. <laughs> but no, it's it's great. It's a crack of noon here for this interview. Yeah, it's a bit early for everyone, isn't it? Yeah. I'm sorry about that. Sorry for getting you out of bed. Yeah, Swamp Pop is uh, it's always been down here. Some gentleman from uh, England coined that phrase, Swamp Pop. John Broven. Yeah, when I first heard that, I was with him up in New York. We were talking to some dude. He told me, he said, uh, he and Floyd Swallow from Gin Records, and got together and went out to dinner. Instead, they were talking to a couple of those guys with them, said something about Swamp Pop. Floyd Swallow said, What did you say? That guy said, Swamp Pop. He wrote it down. said, That's going to be the genre. That's going to be. And th those two guys, Broken and Floyd Swallow, Gin Records uh, icon from down here. Swamp Pop is South Louisiana rock and roll. You know, rock and roll was happening all over the world in the 50s and 60s. There was a big boom. And, um, and you know, Swamp Pop is sort of the South Louisiana version of it. It's not just a white boy thing, because King Carl and Guitar Gable, I think, really started it with Irene, Irene, and This She Go On Forever, uh, and some of those great songs. Uh, you know, there was just a lot of music, always oh, been a lot of music down here, and when, and when people started changing from hillbilly music and Cajun music and Creole music into rock and roll, when that generation, Tommy's generation, started, started embracing their own sound, uh, for their own for their own kind, that, that's that's when they they put a, a laid back lope in it. Our old brother Warren Storm used to have a, a certain way of playing and singing, playing the drums and singing that 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 felt like you know the real swamp pop feel. It's it's one part fast domino, and they say and one part fado do, which is a Cajun dance. But it's just Warren, it's Warren and Tommy, Johnny Allen. Jive and Gene in Texas and Gene Terry. It's, 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 it's those guys' version of rock and roll. Adcock sitting in the courtyard in the French Quarter. You're gonna pump some of that bio wattage into your cottage with Mr. Brian Wise. Hey Ron, and let, let me tell you, see, before Swamp Pop was coined, that phrase, hell oh man, I had sweet dreams out way before that. And I was in the pop culture. And not only did I go country, I went pop, and that's why I sold so many albums and records. Records, I didn't have no albums. Nobody, I didn't even have an album to back up Sweet Dreams. I lost a bunch of money there. Nobody knew, you know. But I was I was doing this, man. Look, I'm 83. The Swamp Pop might have been, uh, what, 
I had my record, I was running around all over, the, you know, Bobby Rydell and uh, Loving Spoonful, Chubby Checker. I mean, Tommy was just people. trying to get a part of the American dream, just like Johnny Allen and Warren and changed their name, changed their name. And then they put Sweet Dream, I mean, uh, Small Pop on what everybody was doing. When I first heard it, I didn't like it, now I love it, so, you know. We mentioned John Broven. I first heard about it when I was living in London. Charlie Gillett did a rodeo show there, yeah. and he had John Broven on. And uh, talking talking about Swamp Pop, he'd come back from Louisiana and he played all these records, particularly Johnny Allen's The, the Promised Land. And, I mean, there's a hot, you talked about the genre, but there's an in, there were an incredible array of artists, uh, musicians down there playing this music, wasn't there? You know, Warren Storm, yourself, oh, man, Johnny Allen. Okay. Look, they were TK. really international stars. They just never did have the ability to want to push themselves. They want to stay here, do the same 10 songs, and then go home. Me, I wanted to recreate, step up, swamp well, popular. Not just <laughs> You know, any it, it, they say that in order for a, a culture to survive, you have to. It starts with the language. You have to protect the language or save the language. They've certainly done a lot of that down here with with French music and Cajun music. But for 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 a genre, you have to have songs. You have to have material. And there was, you know, Tommy was, is a prolific writer. He wrote some big hits for for, for Freddie Fender and and that and that six eight fast domino style. And and he has a beautiful high tenor. Uh, yeah, I think Tommy's an Irish tenor as much as he is a small pop That's singer. It. Um, but you know Bobby Charles and him Johnny wrote some good songs and TK maybe wrote one TK Hewland another Gene Terry wrote a couple of good songs but it takes new songs and, and there hasn't been anybody that came around a long time that's writing new material for that genre and writing in that style not even in when you say style not in a certain rhythmic thing but just in the in the in the in that sort of lightheartedness but melancholy memory uh, memory induced flavor that Swamp Pop seems to, to beckon. Getting ready to come to Australia. We, Charles, when he was in high school, was coming out. And look, they'd get his backpack and get out of school. They'd come get a Jack and Coke, a Jack Daniels and Coke, little dudes at the bar. 
Hell, man, we were all like a big family. Yeah, when I was in high school. And the young kids started like a swamp pop, and, and I, just, I always played. Tommy's smoking that damn cigar, but I'm ready sorry, to kill him. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, smoking a cigar for breakfast, folks. Uh, yeah. For those of you out there. This is it. This is the road, brother. Cigar we, for breakfast and get out of town. Yeah, and woke up on the wrong side of the floor. Uh, I, but uh, I used to go see Tommy when I was a, a teenager. Uh, we used to go after high school. Uh, in fact, this fellow we're sitting with here, we're, we're in Francis Ford Coppola's house. It's beautiful sprawling place in, oh, in the French Quarter. My friend Blaine McManus uh, was my high school buddy and he works for the Coppola's which is why we're staying here. We get to stay here and have a party here last night. But, but I used to get, we used to get off of school and go hear Tommy and Warren at the Yesterday's Lounge. And it wasn't because I was hip or trying to preserve our culture. It was because they'd serve us drinks in our school uniforms. <laughs> and, uh, and, but I always thought Tommy sang great and uh, he always dressed great and he was always cool but he he was always singing me new songs or, and showing the audience new songs and in Lafayette in the 80s you could hear Tom McLean on yeah. the radio alongside you know Rod Stewart and and all the 80s stuff that was going on after the 60s six or seven sixty eight the sweet dreams started coming down but you stay in Louisiana you work all the time you don't have to get out of here I mean look from 1968, 69, I've been working ever since. People say, you didn't work for 40 years and you made an album. I said, man, I've been writing songs at my house. Artists all over Louisiana recorded my songs. I get a little royalty check from there. I'm a happy camper. <laughs> <laughs> there aren't many Louisiana musicians who actually leave Louisiana to go and live well, somewhere you, else, you are there? That, that, that's a double-edged sword because down here you ain't got to because... There's so much work. There's festivals. You know, music's a part of life down here. It's everywhere. It's not just something you do, uh, you know, once a month. It's it's all the time. Yeah, so, he, so he, Charles he, is right. He, he can stay on it. You can you know. So Tommy didn't have to puncture uh, the national charts again after the '60s. He was big here, and and the same people who had him play at their high school dances in the '50s and '60s are still coming out to his dances. Record hops. Back then it was record hops when I had Sweet Dreams, and you'd have a. A promoter put you in a hotel in Philadelphia and some they come get you and bring you to a record hall and little kids would be dancing, I'd sing two or three songs, they bring you back. After a while they come get you again, take you to another school and and all that Dick Clark and Dick Clark American all, all Bandstand type thing, yeah. yeah. I, I did where the action is. I did that. Right. So but once once Tommy had his big hits in the sixties, you know, he he had sealed his place to be able to work forever in Louisiana, and, and no one, everybody still loves those songs so much down here. It's so, such a part of the, of the, of the, of the, you know, just part of the part of the everyday life to hear Tom McLean songs. Every wedding and funeral, you got to play a Tom McLean song. So yeah, he yeah. just kept he just kept working. He didn't have to, he didn't have to chart your course as a. As, a, as an artist on some national level, you can just work in Louisiana and make a nice living. It's a double-edged sword that keeps you here. Yeah. 
Charles come down to my house on what I don't know a couple of years ago, shit, three, three or four. Yeah, three or four years ago. And uh, he come in and drink some coffee, sit down, talk with my son. Oh, you gotta hear this. I said, I got on the piano. I did three or four of them damn songs. Charles said, I love it. He took off and went to New Orleans. Damn, my phone blew up when he got to New Orleans. We gotta record that. I can't get that out of my head. I said, You wanna go record? I said, me and you, and my bag is packed on one more way to New Orleans, let's go do this. I took that album, I put it down like I did it. He and Nappy, what's the Nappy's last? Mike, Mike Napolitano, who helped co-produce Oh, he, he and Charles got in there, and they put the, all that music. Charles got all the, the, the Neville brothers, and damn it. Ivan Neville, yeah. Uh, yeah, all, all of them. Got John Cleary on the John record. Cleary, oh, all man. the little band of gold guys, Dave Ransom. They jumped and in Steve and wanted Ryan. to help us, the Charles would get them. I'd go during the day and lay down the tracks, so I'd come back, man, they'd put saws on my, on, oh, it's beautiful. That's, that album is really the best album I've ever had out, quality. Hey, one of your big fans is Elvis Costello, who contributed in, in the songwriting department and also sings on it. And you appeared on stage at Jazz Fest with him last year, didn't you? Yeah, look, we were at a memorial for the great Bobby Charles, the songwriter. And Elvis Costello come through the back door as a bunch of stars. This was down in uh, House, of, House Blues. of Blues. And, you know, Elvis come through the door. And I'd, I'd made a gospel album. I'm a Catholic evangelist, you know. And... I only had about 300 copies in that press, and it, it went like that. I didn't even have a copy. Elvis came through the back door and said, Tommy McLean, King Herod, I wrote a tune. And I don't know how he got that, but me and him got to talking. We ended up getting each other's phone number and I put it in my pocket. Later on, Charles said, you got Elvis Costello's phone number? Give it to me. All of a sudden, here's Elvis Costello writing a tune for me and doing a verse on another tune that I got. He's a great person. Brilliant. Read his book, Unfaithful Music. Amen. Well, you know what's funny about that? The, the, actually, the truth of that story, Tommy doesn't let the truth get in the way of a good version of the story, but uh, that's another Louisiana trait. But, um, like being late for an interview. But uh, Elvis, uh, I had met Elvis for the first time at that Bobby Charles tribute. He, of course, had cut Sweet Dreams. He he performed before I grew too old that night uh, the great Bobby Charles song that, that Tommy had a big hit with and that was on the Charlie Gillett record yeah. and it's still big in England that, that, that song is bigger in England than it is than Sweet Dreams but anyway we all hung out and met and Ellis was wonderful I don't know how where he gets that energy but he's just always up to something and he's always willing to help out and and it, a couple of years went by, or several years went by, and I decided I was going to start. I heard these new songs of Tommy's, and I said, "Man, we got to make this record. The songs are just too good." My brother, actually, who's a, a great keyboard player, Eric, he ran in just by chance. He was in a restaurant in New York on vacation, and it just happened Elvis Costello was in the restaurant. So of course, my brother made his way over to the table to reintroduce himself. We had all met that night in New Orleans, and 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 and. It was from that, my brother came home and said, hey, I ran into Costello the other night, it was really cool in this restaurant, and they took a picture together and stuff like that. And Elvis, I think at that point, asked what I was up to, or, and then so I got in touch to tell him I was working with Tommy, I was gonna be making a new Tommy record. I knew he would be interested in that because he's a big Tommy fan. And I sent him some of the new tunes, just a rough sketch of them. And I'd be, I'd be damned if, if a few weeks later he didn't send me a tune, my hidden heart, for Tommy. He said, look, I wrote, I heard the songs that you're doing with Tommy. I wrote this tune for the record, if you would consider it. I mean, Jesus, of course we'll consider it such a great tune. And then we started working on that. And then 
a few months later, we had I Ran Down Every Dream, which at the time, Tommy was calling my life. Hey, it's my life. And it was just kind of a story of his life. It was like, you know, the story of his life and music. You know, music kept interfering with his love life. You know, all these dreams you're chasing. You know, you have the best intentions, but sometimes people get hurt and things get sideways along the way. We had a great tune, but we didn't have a chorus for it. And I thought to myself, hey man, let's call Elvis. He'd already sent us my hit. And I said, we sent him what we had on my life. And it came back the next morning with that big chorus. I ran dream. Oh my God. My it, he's very brilliant. <laughs> favorite songwriters. Oh, man, that He's dude, he, he heard a song that I did, The Greatest Show on Hurt, H-U-R-T. He called CC. Him and CC would talk a lot before I really got in with him. And he said, ask Tommy, can I write a verse to his song? I said, by all means, man. You think I'm going to turn him down? He wrote a beautiful verse to a Greatest Show on Hurt. I'd do it. Me and him become family. We go to Europe, his family comes out, we go to dinner, we play together. In fact, Nick's son, yeah. young Roy Lowe, who's he, a great drummer, he his, gave him a shot. his first ever session is on Living on the Losing End. He plays drums on Living on the Losing End, and that will forever be his first ever recording session. He's on Tony McLean's record. He said that was the most great time I've ever had in my life. When we did that thing, he was real little. Now he's circled about seven foot tall, and <laughs> he eats all the time. He's, he's gonna be a big star. But Nick Lowe is a gentleman too, Ron. They're all great. You know, those guys from Europe. You know, they, bro- pick, they picked up on my stuff, and that's how I got big. Well, he, he loved that stuff from uh, his very early they, days. You they know, knew all those back. pub rock cats. Yeah. I mean, you know, Nick and I have talked about this. You know, at some point we had to go, I wonder how this, all this friendship and connection and music started. I think there's just, or Nick said this, he goes, you know, there's a lightheartedness about Louisiana music and Louisiana life in general that I think resonated with, with some of that working class rock and roll that was being made in England in the 60s and 70s and 80s and, and that, that whole pub rock thing. I think that's, of course, there is a way to explain it. Charlie Gillett put all that Louisiana and Lafayette in particular music on another Saturday night, which got played 
by an influential DJ at the right time, and so people started getting hip to that record, hip to those songs off that record. But I think what resonated with them was that lightheartedness, and, and that's that's why Nick and Elvis and, and Dave Edmonds and those cats have always sort of like, had a heart like a, for, like for a Louisiana family. stuff. We all made friends, you know. But then I was wondering how they, how did they know me? Because I'm older than them, but they they love sweet dreams. You know, before, before they, I grew too old. Yeah, and before I go too old, we hit over there now, they play it. You know, but Europe, the first time I went, I wasn't with Charles. I was with Coderfield, Johnny Allen, and a bunch of those people that put that together. And I played a show there in London called the Grand Clapping Theater. And that, we took pictures that night, and we played, me and Warren, and we come back. I figured that was the end of when that. When was that, in the 90s, or early, late oh, 80s? Oh, that was... Uh, must have been in the 90s. Yeah, it was 90, 91. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. 91, 92, because I met my girlfriend about 92. I just got back from London. Falling yeah. in and out of love. I got my song. <laughs> and then we ended up making this record. I've got so many friends, and Tommy's got so many fans in, in England that we. I spent a lot of time there. Originally, this record was made for Decca Records out of London. We, I, I, I took the demos of Tommy's new songs, and we got a deal on Decca. And we started hanging out in London with, with our great friends. You know, it, the truth is we were getting more work done in London because when we're in Lafayette or out in Louisiana, Tommy's up in Plocheville or out in Oakdale, I'm in Lafayette. And, it, you know, it's hard, we, we don't get together that often. And then when you do, somebody dropping by the house, you go pick up the dry cleaners, you got all these attractions. When we, when we go to London, we just hold up and write and work. This is how popular you get, those young boys. Well, Elvis and not young, but they knew me. Hell, they knew me. I didn't know who they were. You know, and all of a sudden they just took me in, and then they started getting on my record and helping me. They didn't have to do that. That's how kind they are. Yeah, they just jump on there and help Tommy out, man. Let's let's do it. Decca Records, tell them about that, Joe. Well, we got to deal with Decca, and then you know, just as we were all about ready to get underway, the pandemic happened, and then that you know everything just lagged around. But that also gave Tommy and I the time to keep rinsing this record and working on it and adding new songs and taking parts away and adding new parts. So. So in a way, it was really helpful. Of course, over the course of that pandemic, as major labels go, there was all these power shifts and regime shifts, and interest comes and interest goes, and they got some new hot cookie they're into, and then I, we started feeling like we were on a back burner. So we we jumped ship and we ended up on. Shaw Shaw started booking, and I thought we were just gonna play around Louisiana a little bit. See, man, I got all this lined up: New York, Cleveland, Chicago, and Woodstock. Let's go, and let me see if I can do that. Hell, I'm 83, you know. And I got out of my apartment. I'm by myself now. I got out of my apartment, and then I got to feeling better instead of sitting around watching TV. You're looking, you're living proof right here yeah. that music is medicine. This man, uh, in it's June of last life. year, in June of last year, we went out on the road with Nick Lowe just to see if we could even do this. It was just, let's just go one day at a time, see if this can even happen. Or maybe. I, I wasn't sure I could do that. Yeah. And, and, and Tommy's just gotten stronger and stronger. He's like the Benjamin Buttons of rock and roll. Now, <laughs> I, I am aging about a decade every night I hang out with him, but he's, he's back down to about 35. Oh, I saw you at Americana Fest last year at the... Uh, that Nashville. Jab- yeah, that was great. Oh, I had fun there in Nashville, man. I had fun. I've never seen 6th Street or where we were at. No, I went to 6th Street's Austin, uh, Broadway. Broadway. And, and there was something, a festival of some kind going on. There had so Americana. many people going in and out and in and out of bars. We were parked, and here comes Ray Benson with the sleep of the wheel out by the car where I'm at. And I couldn't get out, man. People were packed everywhere. He and I were talking, 
and the driver, they were working on the Cadillac or something. All of a sudden, that damn, looked like the motor blew up and the smoke come out. I just sat there in that Cadillac and said, oh my God, we're all going to jail, man. Here's Ray Benson talking to me and all that. But I loved Nashville. I did a lot of interviews, met a lot of people, and uh, it was, I just loved it. I didn't see Nashville like that. Hell, I'd fly in there in the 60s and 70s, and you would just uh, airport, do this, get back on the plane, you're gone. But now I'm seeing everything, you know. To uh, just digress for a moment, you mentioned uh, Elvis and Nick Lowe's fans of yours. Y you've got another fan that you met, or you had another fan in the 60s, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. Tell me about that. Oh, i got to tell you about that. I done had sweet dreams as big, man. I was out at the Alexander International Airport. There was nobody it in there. It wasn't very international. No, <laughs> man, it was as big as this room, you know. And there wasn't nobody in there but three or four people. And the security guy that used to security when I played with the big band, he remembered me, you know, a black guy. He came and said, Tommy. I said, how you doing, Brother Griffin was his name. He said, would you like to meet Dr. Martin Luther King? I said, oh, yeah, man. Here comes Dr. Martin Luther King coming already. I said, man, I like your song very much. Here's his wife, Coretta King. And at that time, it was getting hectic, blacks and whites, and the war was going on in the 60s, you know. And I had to fly with them, and I kept waiting for the plane to blow up because it was at that time. He didn't live too much longer after that. But I got to meet him, a highlight of my life, man. Kind-hearted person, very humble, really. Just, you could tell he was, he was an icon, you know. Hey, I wonder if Sweet Dreams inspired the I Have a Dream speech. Have you ever thought of that? <laughs> no, look at you, man. You're putting something in my head here now. <laughs> oh, what yeah, do you think? I had a dream. Dr. Warren I had the dream. Sweet dreams. He's living oh, the dream. Man, that sucker had sweet dreams. I just cut it for a little club about the size of the place here. And we'd have 100 people, 50 people would come in, and we'd play every night, you know, to sit Sunday. And I just cut sweet dreams for my, for my little crowd that come and they'd dance and all. But there were doctors and lawyers. I played a supper club, real money. Cut that record, Sweet Dreams. I said, man, how you, how you do all that? 
Say, go down there to Stanley Projection Company. I borrowed $500 from this Leroy Chandler. Went down and cut Sweet Dreams and ordered all that 500 worth of Sweet Dreams. Took it to a record shop in Alexander. Hell, within two weeks, she had done sold out of that. Miss Effie Milliken at the record shop, she called Floyd Swallow and Huey Moe, the, the producer. And uh, she said, you yeah, better sign this boy up and take his record because she said, we can't keep it on the shelf here. It's only been out two weeks and we done sold a hundred copies of the thing. Need more. So Floyd Swallow was looking for me, the icon from Gin Records. And he said, how can I find Tommy McLean? I was playing bass with the Boogie Kings here. Clint West, the he's a great drummer and singer, he turned around Floyd and said, I got him playing bass for the Boogie Kings now. Floyd said, oh, I want to redo Sweet Dreams on the figure. I said, come on, let's do it. He said, do something original. Uh, said, what do you mean, man? Look, just they need a B-side. Yeah, the B-side was a big tune. I need you so, still big. We're fixing to redo that. That's a great tune. Oh, man, look. That was on the backside of Sweet Dreams. I never got a penny for that. 45s back then. But, but I need you so. I was ready to go, man. Then Billboard come. We bought a page, a whole page in Billboard. About a week later, all the black stations quit playing me. Said, we thought you was a colored girl singer. And they dropped me, boy. That rhythm and blues Yeah, it went both me. ways. You know, Tommy was, the, you know, back before the digital age of <laughs> Facebook and all that stuff. And, you know, you didn't know what your stars looked like. And there was, you know, was a, information was hard to disseminate. And, and, and Tommy, uh, the, the success of Sweet Dreams and, 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 and his other records, he was getting played on black radio, especially in the South. They thought he was a, a young black girl. And and when they found out, you know, he was white after Sweet Dreams did well, and they realized, oh, they got this B side. I need you, so that's gonna go real big. They started pushing it, but then they killed it whenever when they when they realized that he he, he wasn't a black cat. But that's cool, you know. Now now we get to cut it again and uh, he, I, I, get to do something. He he gave me. I said, give me your pen. All they brought a song. I said, give me that pen. I went to his office. I wrote, I need you soon. Come back, me and the keyboard player went over it a couple of times. Cut that, cost me $90 to cut Sweet Dreams. I sold 10 million copies and more now of that. Where that come from, brother? It just hit like that. There I was. One day I was Tommy McLean at $90 a week for six nights. All of a sudden I had money in every pocket. You come here, go there, try this, try that. So I was out there all alone, but I made friends and I acquired the younger set too. I called Charles them the younger set. But I'll take it. Yeah, and I learned I learned a lot from them. I want to get a, them. Look, I'm an old guy, and we play yes. here in Louisiana. I got kind of bored of doing the same ten songs, same yeah. show, packed houses. I told Charles, I said, just take me and you, and we'll take this to another level. Swamp popular. Instead of swamp. I think that's the name of the next album, isn't it? Yeah, swamp right. popular. That would be good. <laughs> I need you.
Why you recorded in so many studios? There's got to be in at least six studios for the album. Me, I get kicked out of a lot of places. You know? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's true. But apart from that, <laughs> no, you know, the majority of the record was made with Mike Napolitano in New Orleans, uh, who's been my partner on many projects. He's a brilliant engineer and, and producer, and he really reins me in. I get all these big ideas, but he makes it feasible, and he really knows how to make it sound right. And, and, uh, and, and most of the records we've made together, I'm proud to say, kind of stand up, stand the test of time. I don't have to squirm when I hear them. I might squirm about the haircuts I was wearing on the cover of them. But, or the uh, pink shorts. Yeah, the pink shorts sometimes, hey, you know. But, you know, pink's good. Uh, that, was, that must have been for breast cancer awareness. That's why I wore the pink shorts. Well, I want the people in Australia to come see us. Two pieces. And me and Charles went two together. Two-piece white. It's like all your fried Two-piece white. Yeah, that's it, brother. <laughs> Get a and biscuit and a red it's soda. It's starting out. Me and Charles couldn't even play a song together. We kept working we got over in Europe to Notting Hill and it's friends of ours at a big place big basement and Swamp Pop Palace the yeah, Bayou Basement yeah, we call it yeah and me and Charles I went over there with him and we'd get in the little place work up a show and we couldn't hardly play one dude told me said man when I saw y'all last year he said man y'all y'all wouldn't do them what you're doing now man that's orchestration well, well we, know, we better come and see you because you're going to be on the soundtrack of the remake of Roadhouse. Roadhouse. So once that hits, you might not get back to Australia. You'll be too busy elsewhere, won't you? I would imagine Roadhouse is going to do well in Australia. We'll probably come right back when that thing comes out. It's it's a big fight movie. I know y'all like to have a punch-up every once in a while. That was a trip to make that. Yeah, what happened is I got the call from from the people who were doing the music for that. It's a remake of the old Patrick Swayze movie. And um, and we kind of do the part that Jeff Healy had originally done in the movie, which he's kind of the bar band. So it's me and Tommy and my band, the Lafayette Marquis, with Tommy with us behind a bunch of chicken wire playing while all these boys fight. And there was all sorts of things going on. It was on. great. Conor McGregor, that MMA fighter, he's starring in that. He's he, one of the bad guys. Yeah, he become friends of ours. Put, he's put on that show. That's a well-built little old dude, man. Look, he's still in there. But he, he, was, he was good. I mean, it was a trip to do that. You go to work at 7 at night, you might get off at 7 in the morning, we'd do it at night. We went down to the the, the Dominican Republic, to, they cheat uh, that for Florida, it's set in Florida in the panhandle in a white trash roadhouse in, 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 in Florida, but they shot it down in the Dominican Republic, I'm sure, for tax reasons. But um, So we go and we play, we have a bunch of songs in it and there's fight scenes, I mean, you know, you know with the movies, you never know. It, it might be the goofiest thing you ever seen. Or it might end our careers, or it might help, but we don't know yet. But come, come this fall, we'll know. Is that where you did your video clip for the 
you've got a video out for the one of the songs on the album, haven't you? No, no. yeah, we have. Uh, Tommy's got a couple of videos. We just yeah. did a, a London. Yeah. We did with Dan McMillan, the great artist and director. His grandfather was the prime minister of, of England. Oh yeah, McMillan. we know some. We know some. And uh, and he uh, and uh, yeah. In fact, he gave Tommy a hat. He, he, he gave him a little, a beautiful little, oh, uh, yeah. a, 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 a little stingy brim. He did all that. All that his grandfather had wore with Khrushchev. There's a picture of him wearing it with Khrushchev, trying to stop World War Three. But yeah, we we did that video with him, and then there's another video out uh, for I Hope um, that we did in Austin, Texas. But um, I don't think we. I don't. There might be videos of us hanging out by the pool down there, but I don't think we made it. Took so much. There. I don't know now. I got, but I love it. I just never quit. You know, when I started growing my beard, I couldn't hardly grow it. And I've been kicked out of some churches, barrooms, people's houses, on account of that. Now everybody's got a beard, and it's, it's unreal. So Tommy's basically saying he, he's the one that came up with I Have a Dream for, let me get this straight, I Have a Dream is your idea for uh, Martin Luther King, and he also started ZZ Top. <laughs> about on the album, Augie Myers and Van Dyke Parks. Augie Myers, great friend of mine, man. Doug Som, Augie Myers, when I was in Houston, Texas recording, after Sweet Dreams was hitting, I did a lot of stuff in Houston. I met those boys. They were Texas boys, they recorded at the same place. Johnny and Edgar Winter, mm. uh, Augie Myers. Augie's he, little, he's my age, but he's not well. And I ain't well either, but he's got, uh, I think he might. Well, you had polio. Was, I, okay, I, I, I didn't kid, know if I yeah. say that or not, but he, it's hard for him to walk. And Oh, but what a pleasant dude, man. And it's just something about him. Him and his wife, Sarah. They're, they're great. You yeah. understand that whole San Antonio sound, with, with maybe the Doug song, the Groover sound, I think Doug used to like to call it. That ain't that much different. You know, San Antonio's mm -hmm. about eight hours down the highway from where we're sitting right now. But in South Louisiana, South Texas, Central Texas, that's people who want to have a you good little groove. And, and it, like I said, a bunch of white boys singing brown music, damn good. And, and Doug and Tommy and all that, it's all the same. 
that's all the same ilk and, and they were all friends and of course they were having hits at the same time and they were all soul men and they all understood and it crossed all the racial lines and barroom lines they went you know white bands playing at black clubs and black bands playing at white clubs and all that stuff back when America was they we had them up. black people singing white music but after we hit I, I go see them I never thought I got something from them I just had God give me what I have but and Tommy, these songs that I would hear I would take whatever the cover song was, but I'd do it my way. That's the only thing I could do. I wouldn't educate in school anymore, but when I put it together, like at Sweet Dreams, I heard Patsy Klein do that, and I did it my way. Swamp popular instead of just, and all of a sudden, boom! That's but like Tommy said, you got a song actually, hopefully we'll record this soon. Tommy said, what color is a song? And does a, right does a melody have a border? Of course it doesn't. And, and, and musicians have always sort of understood that. Talk about integration. We're going to remodel the world. <laughs> I mean, My next song I'm writing, I heard that in there last night. Mr. Marco that runs all this. Me and him were sitting in there talking, having a cigar. All of a sudden he said, this world needs to be remodeled. I said, write that down, brother. Then I had another verse or two for you before we even got out of there. I'm gonna work on that. Yeah. Especially down here in the South. I mean if you look at Always if you light. look at JD Miller's and your mm -hmm. Warren Storm playing on all the you know, Slim Harper records and Lightning Slim records and, and Amade Ardwin, a black accordion player playing with Dennis McGee, a white fiddle player, McGee, Irish descent, Irish Cajun. I mean, we've always integrated down here. You know, even in Memphis, they didn't, you know, why didn't Sam Phillips have Ike Turner produce Elvis? How, how fucking cool would that have been? But, mm -hmm. but down here, we've always just been able to sort it out amongst ourselves because music, music's the common denominator. And Charles then followed us, and then when he got up rocking and rolling, I was still playing casinos here in Louisiana. All of a sudden, he had that band of gold, and he called me and said, you want to go to, you want to go to Europe? I said, well, yeah, I want to go to Europe. Lily Allen, I said, who is that? He said, damn, big movie star, wants us to play for a wedding. And we went over there, I went over there with Charles and I started seeing. The first time I went, they were tourists. We went to where Jack the Ripper had been and all of that, you know. But the Grand Clapping Theater, when I played there, then later on I started looking for pictures. Man, it was a big show. All kind of stars on there. I couldn't find anything. Come back another time to Europe. Some dude met me at a club called the Lalo Club. Charles and I was playing. He had a stack of pictures. He said, you might want this. Glossy 8 by 10 pictures of us on stage at that Grand Clapping Theater. Lowell and Hardy had played there. <laughs> I mean, look, I keep all that in my mind. I'm standing on stage where Lowell and Hardy did it.
you ask about Van Dyke Parks too. Yeah. I, I'd like to speak to that. Uh, Van Dyke, of course, is a genius and, and, a, and, a, and a, you know one of the guys that's just defined American music for me and is, is a true, a u- unique American voice. I got to know Van Dyke through Jack Nietzsche, who I worked with on my last solo record, which was a couple of years ago. You always remind slightly. me. Uh, but uh, Jack was a great producer, arranger, and I was so busy working with this old man Tommy, trying to help out the old folks here that I haven't been able to make my records. So I'm just a. Shit, you know, I want to get in with a, the young this people. Is a, this, 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 this is a, this is me just doing my good deed, my good Samaritan deeds, helping these old folks cross the street. But, but I, I got to know Van Dyke and Tommy. The first song that Tommy played me when I went to his house that day, that completely blew me away, was a song called California, <laughs> and it was so different than anything I'd ever heard of Tommy do, and it was so pop, and it was just uh, instantly just burned into my brain. It was such a great, infectious melody. With Beaver Charles, though, I wouldn't have did this. He started, my phone blew up. He said, man, we got to record this. And he, he got all that together. And I knew immediately when I heard California, it wasn't just another swamp pop tune. It wasn't just another Louisiana boogie <laughs> tune. It was something different, something bigger. And and I knew Van Dyke had to be a part of it. I mean, now that's called California, and, and Van Dyke is the king of California sound. So it sounded like something that Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys could have done. So anyway, you know, time goes by, and you, you call in some favors, and you make I sent the song to Van Dyke. Now remember, Van Dyke was born in Lake Charles, and so he kind of considers himself a Louisiana boy. He was raised in Meridian here in Mississippi. I didn't know that until after he, he recorded them all. Man, and, and, that can't play, bro. I, I, and so I sent it off to Van Dyke. He has a very cool process. It takes about a month for him to do one song. Uh, he works at it every day. And, and he didn't play me anything along the way, but at the end of it, he finally said, okay, I'm ready to show you what I got. Well, he sent it to me, and to be completely honest, it freaked me out, because I didn't, I realized at that point, in fact, Mike Napolitano, my, co, my co-producer on this record, he, I, after a couple of days listening to it, I let Mike listen to it, I said, what am I gonna do with this? And Mike said it perfectly, he goes, well, he goes, you got yourself a problem now, he says, because if you put this song on our record that we've made on Tommy, people are either going to get to it and go, well, who dropped acid in the middle of the record? Or they're going <laughs> to like it so much, they're going to go, why did they put all this other dumb-dumb music on the record, and why isn't the rest of the record like this? So I had to go back to Van Dyke and ask him if we could kind of prune it and if I could piece some of his arrangements out around the rest of the record, kind of like you'd have Ivy on the side of a page of a, of a, of a fairy tale. And uh, when, you, when, when, when I called me and played that for Well, yeah, and then I, and then I, so I, I worked on it, and I finally got it right, and Tommy came to the house, and I said, okay, sit down. Sit down, old man. Sit down. You need to be sitting down. I'm going to play something. I tried to, you know, stupid of me, I tried to sort of not not apologize for it, but to prepare Tommy for how different, what, what Van Dyke had completely changed the song. We sent Van Dyke basically the lyrics and the melody and Tommy's vocal, recorded vocal, and he came back and changed all the under music, just completely, it's in a different key. I don't, I, my brain doesn't even understand how that worked or when how I he did it. When I heard that, I wrote, and we did California, we got a good cut on that, Charles and I, but when he sent it that Van Parks and they sent it back, Charles Coleman, come to the house and I'm gonna play this for you man he put that damn thing on it absolutely blew my mind I remember it was Tommy's birthday Best that day it was a Sunday Tommy afternoon popular man you know it was a Sunday afternoon and I played it for Tommy and of course to my great surprise he immediately got it of course he goes that's the best thing I've ever done I remember I remember the quote Tommy he said you opened your eyes after that I finished playing it for you, you go I wish my mom and daddy could have oh, heard yeah. that oh yeah I wish they could have heard that because that's you making they heard the me music. but nothing like that I mean this I'm not 
blowing my own whistle here, but that's a great song, man. After he got through with it, hell, I'm ready for the movies now with that song there. It's, it's a movie song. And sure enough, the movies did call. But, Setting uh, the people up, tell them what they ought to hear, man. This album I got, get a copy of it. I ran down every dream. All those songs are God-given. You know what I mean? You can take it with your brain and do what you want to do, but all I, I get it piped in. I didn't study for that. You know, boom, all of a sudden I'm writing another song. Always. Hey, Tommy never stops creating. He's always stopping. writing. By the time we get to Australia, he'll have another album full of music. I better not stop. I'm 83. Look, I got another. I went to my doctor and he said, Tommy, you got six months to live. I said, Doc, I can't pay you. He said, I'll give you another six months. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, uh, Thanks very much for spending so much time. We're looking Thank forward to so seeing much, you in a few weeks' time in we Australia. To get down there. I've lived in motels. I've slept on beaches in California. Tonight someone somewhere's gonna find love's own fire. No, no, not me I'm through with that world But something new happened to me today The sky is not so blue My love has gone away I know one thing I've learned something about California Was you lying then? Are you lying now? Was you lying all the time? Did you know that million dollar smile Would break this heart of mine? Something new happened to me today I have had the blues ever since I fell for you but I know one thing I've learned something about California And someone in heaven tonight I know will pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. Someone is walking down streets of gold and they're praying for me, me and you in California. I've lived in motels, I've slept on beaches in California. Tommy McLean from his first album in 40 years, I Ran Down Every Dream, produced by C.C. Adcock, and the song California with the arrangement by Van Dyke Parks. We were talking, of course, to Tommy and C.C. in the French Quarter during Jazz Fest. They're currently touring Australia. They've got a few dates left 
this week in Melbourne and Archie's Creek. Catch them if you can. The other songs we heard, Somebody featuring Augie Myers on keyboards, My Hidden Heart, a co-composition between Elvis Costello and C.C. Adcock. I wouldn't mind betting Elvis is going to record a version of that at some stage. Sweet Dreams, Tommy's great hit from the mid-60s, of which Martin Luther King was a great fan. The Greatest Show on Hurt, a co-composition between Nick Lowe and Tommy McLean. The title track, written by C.C., Elvis Costello and Tommy McLean. Promised Land by Johnny Allen, one of the great swamp pop singles of all time. I Got Loaded from Warren Storm and Seven Nights to Rock from Little Band of Gold, along with Spoon Bread featuring the Dave Egan composition on the album The Promised Land. I hope you enjoyed our podcast this week on rhythms, and I hope you can join me next week for another podcast. We've got some great ones coming up, including Ricky Lee Jones and Rodney Crowell. And to find out more about Rhythms magazine, just go to the website rhythms.com.au. I'll talk to you on the next Rhythms podcast.